All right, if you have your Bible or your phone, I encourage you to look up 1 Corinthians 7. It's um, toward the end, if you're using a Bible. We're back in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. And they say that the grass really isn't any greener on the other side of the fence. Um, and I have to remember that proverb because sometimes I'm tempted to think that it must be. You know, you get in a situation, you start complaining, and you think, oh, if only it was a different way, things would be better. One area I learned, though, a long time ago that the grass is not greener was in the area of dating and marriage. They say familiarity breeds contempt, but the truth is the grass is seldom really greener elsewhere. So as Stephen Stills sang in that classic song, Love the One You're With. <laughs> there was a study done a number of years ago now. Uh, it was a study of young divorced couples who still had preschool-aged children. And uh, a year after their divorce, they were asked how they felt about their former marriage and their divorce. And do you know that after having gone through the divorce, the majority of them, 60% of the men and 73% of the women said in retrospect that, they, that it had been a mistake to break up and that they wished they had worked harder to make their marriages work. The grass isn't usually really greener and getting over the fence can tear your life apart. Well, this is something like what the Apostle Paul counsels the Corinthians about on the topic of marriage. Today, we reach a new section in the book of 1 Corinthians because Paul now specifically addresses and responds to some questions that the Corinthians had written to Paul about asking him about. Verse 1, now for the matters you wrote about, he tells them. And here's the tricky thing for us as we look at Paul's answers beginning in chapter 7. We don't know exactly what the questions were. <laughs> And so for us, it's like when, when, when you're a kid and you're listening to your parent talking on the phone, you know, back before speakerphone, and, and so you're only hearing one side of the conversation, and maybe they're giving some answers, but you don't know what the questions were. You don't know what the other person on the other side is saying. You can't always tell, and you're making some guesses. And that's what we're doing here in this part of Corinthians. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and there's a lot of background and specifics that we don't have, because Paul and the Corinthians already know it, and so he doesn't need to say it in the letter, because he's writing to them before it becomes God's word to us. The, the other challenge for us is, as we've, as we've seen before, sometimes Paul is, is quoting the Corinthians and their letter and sometimes he's responding to it, but there are no quote marks in the original Greek that this was originally written in. So we don't always know for sure when Paul's quoting their perspective and when he's giving his own perspective. And for all these reasons, there's been a lot of different interpretations. And just read 1 Corinthians 7 in a bunch of different translations. There's a lot of differences in, in this chapter and likely a lot of misunderstandings. So we'll do our best. And we're going to take this chapter in two parts. Today, we're going to look at the parts addressed to those who are married. 
And then in a couple Sundays, we'll look at the parts that are addressed to those who are single. Don't worry if you're not married. There's something for you in today's passage too. Because Paul's message to everyone, in effect, is going to be, the grass is not greener. But before we get into that, Paul immediately and practically addresses a very nitty-gritty marriage issue. And it's very likely that verse 1 is the Corinthians' perspective that Paul's quoting from their letter to him. It is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. And I'll use some euphemisms this morning since there's no junior church. Um, So that's likely the Corinthians' perspective that they'd stated in their letter to Paul. Um, You know, abstinence even in marriage seems to be what they're they're advocating for, which might surprise us because of chapter 6, if you remember back a few Sundays ago. Remember, they seem to be arguing in chapter 6, you know, our bodies aren't important. It's our spirits that matter. So we can do whatever we want with our bodies. It doesn't affect us spiritually. And yet here they seem to be arguing our bodies aren't important. It's our spirits that matter. So we should abstain from physical pleasures. And that seems like a contradiction. Well, probably what's actually happening here is that the Corinthians are disputing about this among themselves. Remember, there are big fights in Corinth. They're arguing. They're disputing with one another. This is probably one of the areas where there's two factions. Uh, One of them, uh, chapter 6, Paul is probably responding to the free love people. And then now in this chapter, Paul is probably responding to the abstainers. Now, why would the abstainers think it's a good idea to abstain even in marriage? Well, for one thing, these were the days before birth control, right? So intimacy meant children and families and domestic responsibilities and mouths to feed and large families in many cases. And just ask anyone with little kids or who has a big family, it doesn't always feel very spiritual, right? Also back then, it was a man's world, and often women, sadly, were used and were exploited even by their husbands, and often their needs weren't met or taken into account. So you can imagine a few scenarios potentially here. Now that the Corinthians have been transformed, their lives have been changed by Jesus, they've experienced, they've tasted the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they know that their lives are new, that they're new creations. And remember, we've seen in, 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 the, in Corinthians how spiritual these people want to be, how much they're longing to, to experience spiritual things, and they look at themselves as really spiritual people. And so it's possible that some of the wives are saying, you know, we're spiritual now, we're holy, and so we don't want to be intimate anymore. We want to be holy, we want to be spiritual, we want to be set apart in purity to God. Or maybe some of the men are saying, you know, we don't want family obligations. We, we want to serve Jesus and be devoted to the work of God. Also, we'll talk more about this in two weeks. There may be a famine in Corinth at this time. And so this could have led the men to be concerned about having kids and, and um, providing for families. So for whatever the reasons, some people are saying, you know, it's more spiritual to abstain. Um, 
But look at verse 2. And remember chapter 6. In reply, Paul points out again that truth be told, the men are finding ways outside of marriage to fulfill their desires. It, it was viewed as acceptable in a place like Corinth for men to visit prostitutes, to use slave girls. And it's possible some of the men are thinking, I can fulfill my desires that way without having to worry about being responsible for a bigger family. Or my wife says, no, well, fine, I'll just find what I'm looking for somewhere else. And as we've seen in chapter 6, evidently some of the men are arguing that there isn't a problem with them doing this. But Paul says, no way. <laughs> no way. Verse 2, since immorality of this sort is occurring, each man should have relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband, right? Paul's like, sure, you sound so spiritual when you say, oh, it's better to just abstain. But the reality is some of you anyway are not abstaining and you're finding love in all the wrong places. So clearly your abstinence experiment is not working. So wives and husbands, be there for each other. So Paul continues, the husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now let's pause right here because I want to point out how radical this is. In the ancient Greek world, most people would say the wife should fulfill her duties to her husband, period. Full stop. But Paul is pushing for equality. Paul under, Paul's understanding of God's way and of the gospel is that both partners are valuable and both should care for each other. It's not about male dominance. It's not about, or rather, it is about, instead, mutuality. Do you realize historians tell us that in the pagan and patriarchal world of, the ancient, of ancient Europe, this kind of mutuality and equality in marriage was a unique contribution of the gospel to the Western world? Paul, passages like this passage. And Paul continues, verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. But also, get this, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. This was a radical statement in Paul's day. Then Paul continues, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent. Do you hear those two words? Mutual and consent. Husbands, wives, don't use intimacy as a weapon. Don't use it for leverage in your relationship. Work it out together. Be considerate of each other. And if it's one of you who's always doing the being considerate, if it's one of you who's always giving in to the other one, Something is very wrong. Mutual. Work it out together. And do you notice Paul doesn't give specifics? He doesn't say how many times a week or how many times a month. He says, work it out together. And this will involve some give and take. Because at different points, the two of you may have different needs. Or you might have different desires. And so be considerate to one another. You're both going to have to give and to take to make this work. 
you're both going to have to exercise some self-control at times. So yes, if you want to be really spiritual and abstain and pray, go for it. But only if you're both into that. Then come together again. That's part of what it means to be married. And if, if this is very hard for you, if there are some very touchy and, and difficult and painful issues because of stuff you've been through in the past, then, then get help for that. Ask God for healing. Seek healing so that you can more live into this pattern and this vision that Paul gives us here for marriage. Then notice verse 7. Paul says, I wish all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Paul's in a tough spot here because personally, Paul prefers singleness. It's valuable to him, right? Because he's always on the move. He's roughing it. He's getting beat up. He's living on a shoestring in his commitment to Jesus. And so he's in favor of singleness, but not for the reasons the Corinthians are in favor of it. And they're not very good at abstaining. They're, they're much more tempted than he is. And so Paul finds himself disagreeing with them because of their reasons, even though in principle he's supportive of singleness and abstaining for other reasons. Not abstaining in marriage, but abstaining as a single. And we'll, we'll see this later again in a couple of weeks when, when we see what Paul has to say about singleness. All right, but to stick this morning with what Paul says to married couples, we're going to skip now to verse 10. And here's where we really get into Paul's insistence that the grass is not greener. And, and here Paul quotes Jesus. A lot of what Paul has to say in this chapter is, is Paul's advice as he's... Um, it's his counsel as he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's speaking as an apostle to them. But here's the one place that he says, I've got a definitive word from Jesus our Lord on this. Remember when 1 Corinthians was written, they didn't have the gospel accounts yet. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. People were just passing around the sayings and the stories of Jesus that would eventually be put together in the gospel accounts. And Paul says, we have the teaching of the Lord on this one. Verse 10, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Now, a couple important comments about this. First, on this word separate, a wife must not separate from her husband. Today, when we say separate, we mean something different from divorce, right? We, we usually mean a temporary separation, which might lead to reconciliation or might lead to divorce. Paul probably didn't mean that. Um, in Paul's day, the word separation meant basically the same thing as divorce, which is why some translations translate this as divorce. And then second, it should be striking to us Again, because it was a man's world back then, when men usually initiated divorce, that Paul puts the emphasis on women here, which suggests both that women in Corinth could divorce their husbands and that they were doing so. And there's a decent chance, given the, the flow of, of these verses in the whole chapter, that the immediate reason that women are divorcing their husbands in the Corinthian church has something to do with this desire for abstinence so they can be more spiritual. 
In other words, not only do these men not want intimacy with their husbands, but maybe also they don't want marriage at all. They think singleness is going to be more spiritual, and so they're going to break off their marriages so they can be more devoted to God, they think. Now, we don't know if that's their only motivation that the Corinthian women might have for divorce, but if you read the whole chapter, it's the most likely one in the context. What is clear, though, from what Jesus says about divorce in the gospel accounts, and Paul applies it here, is that Jesus' prohibition against divorce applies to all sorts of reasons. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, no, no, a wife must not divorce her husband. Jesus forbids that. And if the wife does opt out of her marriage, she better not go back on her choice of singleness later and marry someone else. No, she better go back to her original husband. And husbands, don't divorce your wives either. Stay together. God's grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. And then in verse 12, Paul goes on to address those married to non-believing spouses. Paul says, Jesus didn't speak to this directly, but I say this. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And same the other way around with believing women. Again, there's a good chance some of the Corinthians are, are feeling so spiritual that they're, they're married to a pagan who probably still goes to the pagan temples to worship idols and is doing who knows what else. And, and the super spiritual Corinthians are feeling tainted. They're feeling uh, impure by their spouses because of their spouses. And so they want to leave their spouses so they can be more devoted to the Lord. And again, Paul says, no, God's grass isn't greener on the other side, even if you're married to someone who's not a believer. Work out your faith, work out your spirituality in the circumstances you are in. God will meet you there. God will lead you there. So be faithful and follow Jesus there. Changing your circumstances won't make you any more faithful or any more spiritual. Then Paul adds verse 14, For an unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and an unbelieving wife likewise by her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, this is weird language, right? Sanctified by your spouse, your children are holy. What's Paul talking about? Well, I think there's a good chance, again, Paul is using this language because he's again responding to what the Corinthians were arguing in their letter to him. There's a good chance that they're arguing, my pagan spouse is polluting me and our marriage and our children. And so I want a divorce so I can be pure again. And Paul's like, no, he's not polluting you. She's not polluting you. You are actually sanctifying him or her. You are being a good influence on your spouse, or at least you should be. You should be showing your spouse by your life and by your example, the way of Jesus, the love of God, the gospel. And you can influence your kids. If, if you get divorced and your spouse gets the kids, you can't influence your kids very well. So don't worry about them polluting you. Worry about you, how you can be a positive, cleansing 
healing presence for them. Light is stronger than darkness. God's purity is stronger than the world's uncleanness. When Jesus touched the leper, he didn't become unclean. He didn't get leprosy. No, he touched the leper and his cleanness passed to the leper. Be that to your spouse. Be that in your home and for your family. God's grass isn't greener outside of your marriage. Now, when I say the grass isn't greener, if you are in an abusive marriage or a really tough marriage, I don't mean to diminish that. I'm not saying the grass is never greener. But what I am saying and what Paul is saying is that in general, if you're single, if you're married, whether to a believer or not to a believer, there isn't one side of the fence that's greener than the other. And Paul elaborates on this on verses uh, 17 to 24. He says in verse 17, Nevertheless, each of you should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to you, just as God has called you. And then even more clearly in verse 20, each of you should remain in the situation you were in when God called you. Were you married when God called you to follow Jesus? Don't seek a divorce. Were you single? Paul will go on to say, don't necessarily seek marriage, though it's not wrong. And we'll see why Paul says that in this context when we get to that in a couple of weeks. What Paul is getting at is, neither is better, neither is more holy, neither is more spiritual from God's perspective. So bloom where you've been planted. If you're already married, don't think you could be more spiritual or more faithful if only you were single. And if you're single, don't think marriage will make you more spiritual or solve all your problems. God's grass isn't more green on the other side of the fence. Neither one is inherently more spiritual. The question is, will you be spiritual? Will you be faithful in whatever circumstances you're in? Again, bloom where you're planted. And here Paul gives some examples, and he picks some examples that have nothing to do with marriage, maybe so it's less personal and less confrontational, um, so, so that the Corinthians and us can appreciate the point. Verse 18, were you circumcised? Were you a Jew when God called you when you started following Jesus? Don't give up your Jewishness. Don't become uncircumcised as if that would make you closer to God. On the other hand, were you a Gentile? Were you uncircumcised? Don't think getting circumcised or becoming a Jew will make you closer to God. No, live out your calling just as you are. Be faithful where you are, given who you are. Don't go chasing a better spirituality as if God would be happier with you if you change these or those religious trappings. Verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Yes, be faithful to God, follow God's ways, but do it in the life you already live. As a Jew, as a Gentile, as a husband or wife, as a single person. Then Paul gives another example, verse 21. And here he talks about slavery, which is a tough one. 
because we hear slavery and we immediately think of American chattel slavery and the evil that it was. And we want Paul to condemn that. And he falls short of it, we feel. Partly because slavery in his day was different from ours. It was, it was a better situation, at least in many cases, and it wasn't based on racism. But also, Paul has no political power to overcome slavery, though he makes clear he's against slavery. So he says in verse 21, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. And when Paul says, don't let it trouble you, he's not saying, oh, it's not so bad, suck it up. No, he's just saying, don't worry that because you're a slave, you're second class to God. You're not second class. So follow Jesus the best you can as a slave. Paul's saying, slave or free, you can serve God, you can be faithful either way. Sure, get your freedom if you can, by all means. But if you can't, serve God the best you can in the situation you're in. Again, bloom where you're planted. Okay, so how do we apply this to ourselves today? How do we apply the fact that God's grass isn't any greener on the other side of the fence? Well, were you an accountant when you started to follow Jesus? Don't feel you would be a better follower of Jesus if you became a pastor or a missionary. By all means, if, if that's on your heart, do it. If God calls you to that, do it. But if you can't, or if that's not your gift set, or that's not your calling, then be the best accountant you can be for Jesus. As Todd Hunter famously put it one time, be a missionary cleverly disguised as an accountant. Jesus can use you in ways that you can't even imagine if you are faithful to him as an accountant. You can reach people no pastor will ever have a chance to reach. In other words, there isn't one ideal job or ideal profession for everyone. There isn't one ideal marital status for everyone that's inherently more spiritual than another. What God is interested in is what you do with what he's given you. Are you faithful to him? Do you put him first? Do you follow him faithfully in whatever situation you're in when God got a hold of your life? Bloom where you're planted. Because God's grass isn't any greener on the other side of the fence. Now, does that mean you should never change your situation? Not necessarily. I mean, Paul says, for instance, if you're a slave, sure, get your freedom if you can, verse 21. And if you're single and you want to marry, sure, go ahead. It's not a sin, verse 28. Sure, you can make these changes, but don't feel you should. Don't make them, um, don't make these changes just because someone told you it's more spiritual to do so. If you're hungry for more of God, if you have a deep desire to be uh, more faithful to God, if you're discontent, don't think, if only I had a different job, or if only I had another degree, or if only I had a better spouse. Don't focus on that, Paul is saying. Focus on being faithful where you are. Bloom where you've been planted. Because, verse 15, and now we have a specific application, 
God has called us to live in peace. And now we're back to Paul addressing the, the spouse of, who's a believer, who's married to a non-believer. And it might seem like he's saying we're called to peace, so if your spouse is trying to divorce you, don't resist it. But, but I think he's more likely saying we're called to peace, so stay with your spouse as long as they're willing to have you. Because the goal of our lives is peace, especially in our relationships. We can't control the other person, but we can grow ourselves into being the kind of spouse God wants us to be. One who's not so hard to get along with, or demanding, or critical, or nitpicking, or rejecting, or controlling, or selfish, or touchy, or whatever else. Then Paul adds, verse 16, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And this sounds pessimistic, right? But in the original Greek, it's actually ambiguous. It could also be translated, who knows, wife, you might save your husband. Who knows, husband, you might save your wife. So be faithful, hang in there, if they're willing to hang in there with you, and work on the marriage. Work for peace. And maybe God will use your kindness, your patience, your loving kindness to lead them to Christ. Okay, so Paul had a lot to say to us here about marriage. He touched on a lot of practical things and, and, and about life in general too. Now, of course, Paul hasn't said everything there is to say about marriage and divorce. He hasn't covered every possibility. He hasn't addressed abuse or marital unfaithfulness here, maybe because the Corinthians hadn't written to him about those situations. So as far as this passage is concerned anyway, let's stick to the main point that Paul is making that's clear here, and that is that God's grass isn't any greener over the fence. So our normal approach as we live out our faith should be to bloom where we're planted and to be the best followers of Jesus we can be in the situation we're in. Let's pray.